Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. And Oliver Skip scores wonderfully, explosively! From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, and the crap and very wet part of West Hollywood, California, eh, Rog? It's the Men in Blazers podcast. We back like invisible asteroids, <gasps> Dave. I need an update. Are there any invisible asteroids that somehow your people are telling you are on the horizon? It's impossible to know, but I imagine probably millions. But I've got to tell you up top, <laughs> Not just because of the invisible asteroids, although yeah. I will say the notion of one of them just coming down, wouldn't you probably wouldn't even hear it. And then you'd be gone, that would ruin your day. But I want to be clear, I'm I'm not in a great mood. Oh. Up top, great. beginning to <laughs> beginning to mourn Everton, oh. as we will discuss. It's starting to take it hard, David. You are not a better person when your team wins. You're not a worse person when your team loses. We I have am. to find what. No, you're not. We have to find ways of, of of making it through and finding joy in football. Rog, talking of invisible asteroids, Los Angeles. I arrived here late last night. It's as though LA has been hit by an invisible asteroid, otherwise known as rain. I suppose rain is invisible in some yeah. ways. It's yeah. diaphanous. I think I think LA was hit by invisible asteroids about twenty years ago, mate. Is <laughs> the the reality? It's proper. Always to me, just proper Blade Runner apocalyptic, that town, in the most wonderful of ways. But I am trying to grapple with this moment, this, this you know, Philip Larkin always says, life is slow dying, which is, which is truth. But, you know, when Jake Paul lost to that Love Island runner-up in the freak show that passed itself off as a boxing match over the weekend, yeah. um, it held it all the white home nation of Saudi Arabia. Um, with it. <laughs> <laughs> With a straight face, Jake Paul told the camera after having the crap kicked out of him, he said, I don't mind losing because I'm a winner at life, David. Oh. 
that that life wisdom, you know, whenever you lose brutally, savagely, openly, humiliatingly, um, I just am going to try and channel that spirit. I don't know if it works or not, Davey, but like, <laughs> listeners, every game your team loses from now on, every goal your team concedes, you know, be you Southampton fans, welcome. Chelsea fans, even you, welcome. Definitely you, Everton fans. The agony, and it is an agony that you experience in that moment. Let's try next weekend together as a collective experiment. Let's look in the mirror immediately and say, I don't mind because I'm a winner at life. And we'll see how that one works. I mean, this is a slightly different point. This is a slightly different version of that. But we have talked a lot about uh, one of our favourite films from our youth, The Great Escape. Um, The classic World (sighs) War II story of a bunch of allied officers and 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 men sent to live at a, a very harsh well somewhat harsh actually always looked rather idyllic but anyway uh, played played their listeners and this is why we talk about it as a, as a foundational text every christmas day when we were yeah. kids this they just to kill i guess uh broadcasting hours the bbc guaranteed would play this like movie and we all watched it over and over and over again after the queen's speech and in the film which is quite a long film a group of very allied american and british mainly um uh soldiers officers just try to escape constantly throughout the movie. And they, they build this great escape, this amazing series of tunneling and, and fake passports and the, and, the, and the way they build the whole thing. And gradually, one by one, they are all, you know, they're all rounded up, except, of course, for Steve McQueen. But in one of the final Hilt's scenes... the Cooler King. Another reason I wanted to move to America. This gentleman personified with his baseball mitt in the cooler in the darkest moment just pull maybe that's how i should be when everton concede like hilts in the cooler just pulling out my baseball mitt and bouncing that ball off the wall be um, more hilts so there's a final scene of the film david attenborough i believe it's david could be richard i think it's david um is rounded up the officer it he's was playing. richard no it was richard, it was richard. i'm david, sorry david, i have no david, idea which one it was david david was up some mountain uh with the gorillas at that time but i'd love it oh, if it was God, david it, attenborough it was an attenborough, attenborough. And i think there was an au brother there yeah and yeah. somebody else i don't know who it was and they're in the Attenboroughs are like the English Aronson brothers. <laughs> they are rounded up by the Germans. They're caught and they're, they're, they're being transported, one presumes, back towards uh, their prison camp. And uh, they stop at a beautiful clearing in the woods to have stretch a cigarette. their legs, have a little cigarette. And David Attenborough turns to his friend and says, Richard Attenborough, Richard Sorry, Attenborough. Richard Attenborough, David, David, Attenborough David Attenborough at the time was crouching in, the, in some hinterlands. Okay, got and it. there is the very, very rare ah, butterfly of one the chimera. One of the Attenboroughs, one yeah. of the Attenboroughs and one of the AU brothers are in a clearing. I think it was Paxton Aaron, uh, Attenborough. Paxton Attenborough. <laughs> and then he turns and he says, in many ways, in many ways, I've never been happier. And what happens then? uh, You hear a little click, 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 and uh, you cut to the back of a uh, Nazi truck, and there's a machine gun ready to gun them all to death. Yeah, that's it. That's how I will go down. I will go down like that. In a funny way, watching Neil Mope trot around (laughs) with as much chance of scoring at a professional football match as I do. In a funny way, I've never been happier. The honest truth is, I think the Jake Paul advice, but we're all going to try it next weekend, right, dear listeners. When we concede, I want you all to tweet me. Um, Doesn't matter that we're 3-0 down to uh, Hartlepool United. We're winners at life. See how that one works. But I've been reading a lot of Maya Angelou 
recently and I read one of her lines that I want to share with you. If you and many of us are fans of teams that are in deep despondency at the moment, you may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats. And I'm pretty sure Maya Angelou meant at home to Aston Villa and probably away at Arsenal and then at Nottingham Forest forthcoming. So you can know what you are, what you can rise from and how you can still come out of it. God bless you, Maya Angelou, there when we need you. Hard to believe they're both human beings, really. Maya Angelou, Jake Paul at the end of the day. What a strange, you know... What a strange civilization we are, David. Well, and then you have to add uh, Neil Mope to the equation as well. And Attenborough. And the Paxton Attenborough. <laughs> Any of the Attenboroughs. Um, uh, producer J-Dubs just sent me a note in the script. Holy crap, that's so funny. I actually wrote the great escape line into the Everton intro later in the pod for you before even hearing this. That is uncanny. Can we just get, say, before we get into this, producer J-Dubs is listening to this and we'll get this pod out despite the fact that he is knee deep in Novo virus. And that is genuinely just miraculous and wonderful. What an incredible human being he is. He's probably going to edit this part of the pod, but I will say uh-huh. I would prefer producer J-Dubs two days into Novo virus leading the Everton line in the next game than I would Neil Mope. That is, that is how in deep we are. I prefer Paxton Attenborough. <laughs> there aren't many things you want to be knee deep in. Can't think of many things you want to be knee deep in. Money. Pie. Pie. <laughs> Pie. <laughs> okay, before we get to the football, a quick mention of everything coming up at Men in Blazers World Headquarters this week, starting tomorrow with what I understand, Rog, is a quite remarkable pod special with one of my favourites, Premier League Poet Laureate Peter Drury. Rog, the scuttle around the MIB water cooler is this one is not to be missed. You know, we have all marvelled at Men in Blazers at DJ Drury's work Mm -hmm. on the Premier League ones and twos. And I know how many of you adore just his soundtrack that he lays for great Premier League moments. This is a gentleman that's not on social media, but we talked, you know, I told him there are fans all over the world who put your commentary of the key moments of their teams to music. They orchestrate your poetry. And he actually got really really moved as you will hear tomorrow he got incredibly moved by this conversation he's so funny so sharp so self-effacing he's got no idea really what a massive part of our lives he is in terms of the role he plays to the Premier League experience we dive deep things do get incredibly emotional in the most wonderful way possible can't wait for everybody to hear this conversation. Wow, how refreshing. It will drop tomorrow afternoon on this very pod feed. Don't miss it. And a special version is being cut for our YouTube where we're putting so much content. Get in there and subscribe to that GFOPs. Rog, let's start this purdy with a tourist. Well, raise my third first bud of the day to MLS's return into our loving arms this weekend. It did Break my heart to see the El Trafico showcase, which had been relocated to the Rose Bowl. Can you imagine like Liverpool and Everton deciding we're going to relocate the derby? We're going to play it at Wembley. But they relocated it to the Rose Bowl. They sold over 70,000 tickets. It was going to be a magnificent statement. And it had to be cancelled because of the weather and the invisible asteroids. Asteroids. I I did. I did. I ate. MLS cannot catch a break from them. Damn invisible asteroids. But I want to raise a particular glass to our friends in St. Louis who have just become Major League. And they did so in fine style. Shocking Austin with two late goals come from behind victory. We love St. Louis. 
on this show. Been there many times for live shows, and it is a joy to be there. Just a rich and wonderful historic footballing hotbed region that's given us so many greats. Frank Borgi, look him up, 1950s legend, alongside Harry Keogh, Becky Sauerbrunn, Tim Ream, who also, I believe Tim Ream was in the 1950 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And we were there last, was it November, December, uh, during our World Cup tour. We saw firsthand, we live Twitch from their dual box of a stadium. We love everything about it. Savor every second, St. Louis fans. Make great memories. We can't wait to come and revel in your wonder. Courage. Yeah, it was amazing, actually, watching this opening weekend and seeing so many of those stadiums that we visited, Rog, uh, during the World Cup. Wonderful uh, to see the league back and going to be interesting to watch it all unfold on Apple. Okay, Rog, to the football, starting with a full cup of Carabao. That's right. Man United 2, Newcastle United nil. The team that used to run English football is starting to walk again, winning its first trophy in nearly six years. They drew first blood on 33 minutes when, wow, another Luke Shaw dead ball connected with that Boeing dreamliner of a Brazilian, (laughs) Casemiro, who absolutely nutted a header past Loris Karius, who you may have heard in the lead-up used to play for Liverpool. And just six minutes later on, who else? Marcus Rashford made it too. The goal was officially deemed an own goal. But the Men in Blazers dubious goals committee has met and we are awarding it to Rashford. And with that, we have liftoff on the Eric Ten Hag silverware era at Manchester United. A wonderful event. Slightly weird event. Look, the Carabao Cup is really a bit like the NIT in terms of important significance. But the two teams competing this season, their their current transformational journeys that they're both on made this event feel so much more significant than we're used to. Witness really the cognitive dissonance of seeing an estimated 100,000 Newcastle fans travel down south en masse, invading London. You know, I've done it as a kid a lot. Everton and Liverpool would play Wembley. You come down from up north and you're just like, oh my God, we're going to take that capital. We're going to dance in the Trafalgar Square Fountains. And watching them, you felt their joy. You felt their wonder. Some of the older ones crying in interviews. You know, And I saw those tears and I felt for them. You know, up north, these proud mining communities, these traditional places, utterly collapsed post-Thatcher. You know, the team, which they love, bereft. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, born again, thanks to massive funding from new owners, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. So you have a mix of romance and geopolitical sports washing. And the same with Manchester United, who just arrived, having fended off Barcelona impressively midweek, one defeat since November, hoping to end that near six-year silverware drought, an eternity within their own high-standard winning culture of glory. They wanted a show. They too were resurrected. You have rumours abound there too. Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al-Tani. Oh, the names we know through mm. football. The chairman of the Qatari Islamic Bank. Wild event, really. In pursuit of that trophy, sponsored by Thailand's second most popular energy drink. And it is, Devo, a day that fuses the good and bad, the light, the darkness, also intertwined in modern football, right? You know, it's one of those funny trophies. I um, had a meeting with a big Man United fan on uh, Friday and I, I couldn't help, um, you know, making one of those jokes that one makes about the Carabao Cup, about how, you know, the cuppity, cuppity cup, how 
you know, that, that when your team is in it, you think it's one of the most important trophies in the world. And when your team's been eliminated, we kind of scoff at it. We kind of uh, laugh it off. But it's still a trophy and it still feels bloody good to win things. Two big pieces of team news going into this one. Marcus Rashford was fit after all to start for Manchester United. And Loris Karius was in goal for Newcastle. That was really the story going into this one. A gent who'd last played for an English club in that debacle of a 2018 Champions League final ended in tears and heartbreak for him, for Liverpool. Made his last appearance in any football match, Feb 2021. I think he'd only played 45 minutes for Newcastle against Saudi opposition in the preseason and was only now playing because of a Nick Pope red card the previous weekend and the fact that their backup goalie, Dubravka, had actually played for Manchester United earlier in the tournament and was so cup-tied. And you had to wonder what filled Karius's mind, Davo, as he took the field, knowing that he was neither loved nor wanted, but suddenly, and only because of the cruelest, craziest twists of fate, very much needed. I did ache for him. You know, everyone put his pre-match warm-ups on social media where he dropped the ball over and over again. It, it, my heart broke for him. I was really praying for this gentleman. And I've got to say this, to make himself the headline going into this one, that was not something he had to do. He could easily have said he had a hamstring or something, sat this one out. I say this about Loris Karius, lesser men would not have had the courage to take the field. You know, certainly looked a little rusty in the warm-up. It was a very different thing from playing in any game uh, rather than uh, just, you know, training. Playing in a in a Wembley Cup final uh, versus training. I mean, what a... I uh, can't imagine. How dissonant. And certainly looked a little rusty early on. But, you know, I think as we'll get to by the end of the game, um, perhaps one of Newcastle's best performers on the day. Scenes before kickoff, the Newcastle end, the black and white flags, the James Corden stunt double with his big belly proudly tattooed, the massive TIFO just basking in this moment. And their team were not overawed in the early exchanges, boosted by the return of creative talisman Bruno Guimaraes back fresh after his three game suspension, charged forward, relish the moment, tempted to overwhelm a potentially fatigued. Manchester United team who'd beaten Barcelona just three days earlier. This was close quarters, all hands fair. Alante Maximan blown past Dallo to fire one off De Gea's strong hands early. A save that retrospectively was pivotal because in the 33rd minute, after the ill decision upending a Rashford by Guimaraes, it was Shaw who floated in a stunning cross that took out the entire Newcastle batline, left Karius exposed as that human cube. In round form, Casemiro, big head to head home. Great cross, great finish. Incredible to see Casemiro. Oh, just all he's achieved in football, finally, finally fulfill his childhood dream of scoring in a Carabao Cup final. David, I did love his quote post-game. He said, anyone who knows me, Know that I go for that ball like it's a plate of dinner. Listeners, <laughs> life truth in there. Is there anything you want in life? You know, if there is, if you're listening, you want something, just go after it like it's a good pie, right, David? Yeah, when you're hungry, you want a plate of dinner. Or a plate of lunch, but a plate of dinner sounds no, even no, better. No, no, not a plate of lunch. It's a mistake. <laughs> others, others are thinking plate of lunch. Yeah. You've got to up them. 
Yeah. You've got to up them. I think don't also don't go for one of those like chef's fixed meals where the portions like there's 12 portions, but they're all tiny. You want it what you want, that dinner, the pie. I want the pie. I want the chicken pot pie. I want the mashed potatoes on the side. That dinner, that's what you've got to go for. Can I just say, before brunch. we get to Losers the Casemiro of it, what a fantastic finish it was. Um, unfortunately, we did have to endure the drawing of the lines for minutes uh, afterwards. <laughs> Behold, lines. Behold, the drawing of the lines. Uh, it was a uh, the ball-in from Luke Shaw, who midweek, his back heel in that Europa League game against Barcelona, really was just a thing of beauty that, that, that set up his team. Luke Shaw, a player often unheralded in this Manchester United design. Quite a journey he's been on. Struggles with weight, apparently some low-level fast food addiction. Battles with Jose Mourinho. Battles with, you know, a few of uh, Man United's managers. Jose was a bastard too. The football he is playing now for Man United, stealth, low-key, he has become not only one of the most valuable players on that Manchester United squad, but I would say the best left-back currently playing in the Premier League and one of the top left-backs in the world. Fantastic footballer. Just a redemption story of wonder one on many on that United side. But Casemiro, what a winner. The statistic being banded around, he's won his nine last finals he's taken the field on. He's won everything, everywhere he goes. A masterstroke getting him in by Ten Hag. We were told he was a panic buy in the moment. But honestly, it's been like a heart transplant, bringing in really a <laughs> crucial organ that then pumps winning mentality through the rest of the host body, the rest of the squad, really a glory infusion. And it would get worse for Newcastle and Loris Karius. Veghorst slipped through Rashford, his shot deflected by Botman. Own goal, which is really, honestly, whoever called that an own goal is just a joy. You don't like joy or puppies yeah. or rainbows. Marcus Rashford goals, David, if you don't, like Marcus Rashford goals, you don't like life itself. Fantastic move. Great run from, from Veghorst. Didn't know he had it in him, Rog. And even better than the run, the ball uh, that released Marcus Rashford was absolutely, you know, superb. When you, when you watch your own team manage to miss through balls again and again and again and again <laughs> we'll get throughout to that. games, um, it is, uh, it's quite remarkable to see one played so perfectly. You know, Karius was made to look, I think, a little foolish uh, in that moment. Uh, he'd already gone down. He couldn't raise himself up to save a ball, which seemed to float somewhat innocuously over his beautifully uh, quaffed hair. Um, and 2-0 to United and seemingly final over. Second half, really an excise and a gassed United. Gassed because really they're chasing silverware on multiple fronts. Mm. They smothered the game. It wasn't much of a spectacle, but it was also notably... Without anxiety. You know, that that was the old United way, by the way. You expected them to go into finals and win them, to do the business. And it was fascinating to, to feel that in that second half. There was not a moment in which you doubted Manchester United were going to win this game. And the only real highlight was pointed out by New York Times' Tariq Pancha, who tweeted... Don't know whose idea it was to advertise that Carabao is now available in Yemen, given that the Saudi oh. owners uh, of Newcastle have been dropping bombs on the country for almost a decade now. Uh -huh. There it was, though, as the <laughs> Saudi Castle players trotted around to blunt effect and advertising hoarding at Wembley proclaimed, Carabao, now available in Yemen. United, they ceded possession, they ceded initiative to Newcastle, but they were clinical. In their moments, that was really the story of this day. 
economically ruthless. The second half, again, Newcastle had a lot of possession, um, but they couldn't do much with it. They lacked really an elite finisher. Martinez, fantastic, mopped up everything, everywhere. What a fighter. What a fighter's mentality that gentleman has. United always shimmied on the counter. United fans reveled in every moment. Serenaded Carrius with, you scouse bastard, down the stretch. They turn that into, we want Glazers out, which was really fascinating, even in victory, almost especially in victory. The United fans, Davo, making it clear that their ownership group, the American Glazer family of Tampa Bay, not wanted in any way, shape or form. And that is a fascinating moment as you know, the Glazers are said to be selling the club, but every American investor I've spoken to are starting to think that they actually may just take a cash infusion and retain control. You know, owners love that. Cash infusions without giving up control. That's a <laughs> that's a wonderful position to be in. It's not bad. Um, and certainly this was a good day uh, for the Glazers, ultimately after years of... Uh, you know, a sort of wayward direction to have this decision, which presumably they had some part of bringing in Eric Ten Hag is starting to uh, pay off was a good day for them. But you know what? I don't think the fans are going to forget too easily. But what a wonderful team Manchester United have, have become. I must admit, I was cheering for them very hard during this game and loved watching them play football. I would also say that Loris Karius, watching him, you know, knocked the rust off his gloves in that second half, made a couple of fantastic saves. His odd brown gloves. Yeah, I um, I imagine that some team may come in for him or he may not continue to be the third choice keeper at Newcastle uh, United. He's still got some keeping left him in. Come and play striker at Everton, lad. <laughs> First, we'll burn up the Newcastle uh, story. Really, their fans, it should be said, stepped into the last moments, roared for their team. And you kind of knew that for them, this was just a step on a journey. And that journey, they feel, will inevitably end in glory. Newcastle, yes, they've lost now eight straight trips to Wembley. Not one there, I think, since 1945. And despite the double bad news, Spurs have reinforced the hold on fourth place, as we'll discuss this weekend. Newcastle fans know their team now have a war chest behind them, and that will be used to propel them to the next level. That I think they know they won't be waiting another 24 years until they experience a Wembley final again. And one surreal note, Newcastle United's backup goalkeeper, Martin Dupravko, the guy that couldn't play because he was cup-tied having played for Manchester United earlier in the tournament, he actually won uh, a winner's medal of, um, for Manchester United, winning proof you can win even when you lose. And talking to goalkeepers, Wout De Gea, sole owner now of United's clean sheets record. We talked about him a lot last week. Um, so let's move to United. Not a classic by any stretch of the imagination for them. Not always beautiful, not always attack, attack, attacky in the way they love it, but incredibly effective. And for Ten Hag, Davo, mission accomplished because the goal simply to win, to instill that habit of winning in the middle of that locker room culture. And you saw him after the final whistle, let his guard down, this normally stoic mask that he wears on the sideline. Beautiful moment. Ten Hag, dad dancing with Anthony and Martinez, recreating the three of them, the winning ways of their shared Ajax days, but on this greater stage. And it is incredible watching United over the last eight months, how many of these players who seem to have lost their way have stepped up, become next level 
under that great Dutch bald Luke Shaw, who you mentioned, Fred, Aaron Wambasaka, and of course Marcus Rashford, who, you know, after a spell in the wilderness, by the way, pretty well everyone bar Voot Veghorst, um, but it was Voot Veghorst that said to the media, our goal now is to win the Premier League, the FA Cup, and the Europa League. Good luck with that one, Voot. But undoubtedly, United are about right, David. You know, the last five winners have been Man City and Liverpool have shared this this tournament. You know, Carabao Cup is a very good indicator of Premier League and European uh, success. And we've seen this not only with the Carabao Cup, but the FA Cup final. It is a springboard to sort of kicking on and going and doing something more with your club. Yeah, I mean, it, let's be clear. It's no Florida Cup. No, I want to be not. clear. It's no Florida it's Cup. But... The thing that impressed me <laughs> Not was... in any way. <laughs> Remotely, like the Florida Cup. And it does not lead oh to God. any of those same outcomes as winning Bite the Florida your arm Cup. Off. Bite your arm <laughs> off for a Florida Cup. But, um, United won this one with no drama. And that was their old way. They used to, under Sir Alex, expect to win. It's been lost since he left. Um, but this, this League Cup, you know, when you think about it, the whole time, the Premier League has been on NBC. We have watched, America has watched, United essentially as a grey gardens, a faded mm-hmm. power, you know, wrapped with stories of they used to, they were once dominators, they were once the gold standard. This is, this is like seeing the New York Knicks just shake off the self-sabotage, the tomfoolery, the slapstick, and rise up for the Their first ownership. time since, yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> since Sir Alex Ferguson left. First time that many American fans, young American fans, have heard the song Glory, Glory, Man United, and it rings true. And I hope you Manchester United fans who are listening that you're absolutely buzzing right now. You deserve to. To me, this moment is so much more than a trophy. Savor every second of all that is to come. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites, California, Texas, and Georgia. God speed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! 
and even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, to the Premier League. Tottenham 2, Chelsea nil, Spurs... Uh, led yet again by everyone's favourite substitute Italian teacher, Christian Stellini. They make pasta fagiole out of Graham Potter's side after a first half in which Chelsea were lucky to escape with 11 men after Hakim Ziyech was sent off for a hand to Emerson Royal's face, a call that was then varred from a straight red to just a slice of cheese. But quite frankly, it didn't matter. Almost <laughs> immediately after the second half kicked off, Oliver Skip, of all people, unleashed an absolute blast past Kepper for his first senior Spurs goal. Harry Kane followed up with a second in the 82nd minute. Spurs stay fourth. Meanwhile, we can only imagine what Todd Burley is typing on his laptop this morning behind his perpetually open game of Minesweeper as he contemplates Potter's future. <laughs> you know, last time these two teams played, we were gifted the Tuchel Conte most aggressive post-match handshake that football's ever seen. Mm. Neither man there on this day for two different reasons. But that feels like an eon ago. And instead we had Graham Potter death rattling his way in closer to the relegation zone than the top four. His team unable to score, trailing Dortmund in the Champions League after the first leg. Uh, you know, the, the, the poor guy pointing to the bloat of his squad, 31 players, they they, they could be untrainable, he said. Now, the, the pre-season trip to Orlando was the problem that led to a dank season. <laughs> Should have gone to Disneyland and not to Universal Studios, Dave. It would all be different. But, you know, for all of that, a man seen by many as not being angry enough in games, um, we found out on Friday, has a crap you not, he and his family... Um, have had uh, threats, anonymous threats, uh, email death threats, not just to him, to be clear, but to his kids as well. Just an an awful, an awful story. And David, I, I heard it. I was like, this is not about Chelsea per se. It's honestly about modern fandom, just the out of proportionness, the entitlement, just the loss of all perspective. By the way, it's not just Twitter. This this started when Rooney threatened to leave United for City and a mob turned out outside his home uh, mm. at night to threaten his life if he did so. It is unfathomable that football that brings us such joy, football the most important, least important thing, that's what I thought it was, can lead to this. It's madness. People regard themselves as worse people when their teams lose and better people when their teams win. Their whole identity, their whole value is based on you know, social media bans. And it's pathetic. It really, really is pathetic. And I, I feel for, you know, it's very hard not to feel for Graham Potter and for his family, certainly, just in terms of how difficult this situation must be without the threats. You add in death threats and threats to his family and it becomes absolutely unimaginable. You know, I, I feel for him. I ache for him. Yeah, I mean, yes, we know um, that he's earning over $12 million a year um, but this, the, the big picture on Graham Potter, this is a, he was a bright young gent with a massive future. And right now we're seeing his career, almost his credibility being destroyed week on week, his reputation turning from that bright young tracksuit manager with fresh ideas, really it's turning into a GameStop meme. Um, and you looked at this one, six changes from the last Premier League game. The loss to Southampton. Potter desperately shuffling still, trying to find any kind of 
anything, a pulse really. 91 changes to this team this far this season, according to NBC. 30 more than the team Liverpool in second place. But the good news is, Dave, it was just Spurs, right? Nine wins, three draws Chelsea have had in their last 12 games against the Spurs. And I felt even more confident when the cameras panned to Todd Burley uh, in the director's boxes, evidently worked out how to double revenues. He's just single-handedly bought out the whole club shop. Can I tell you, one of the ironies of Todd Burley buying Chelsea, and there are many of them, is that he's 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 a guy who doesn't look that good in blue. It's just not really his colour. <laughs> what colour? Well, by the way, when I married my wife, I only found out once I met her that I would look terrible in yellow and green. Those are Devo colours. Yellow and green work for me. Can't wear either of them. I look like I'm in a, she told me I look like I should be in a coffin surrounded by flowers getting ready to be put into the cremation. I was like, does that mean I can't wear them ever? She's like, cremation. Um, right, so everybody has colours. And you say, what are Todd Burley's colours, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Flesh, maybe. Black. <laughs> green. Oh Todd Burley nude. I tell don't, you, he, he could get there. Words. He could get there. He looked pretty... He looked, Pretty desperate by the end of the game. I think he'll try anything to get a point, even a point at this point. Bite your arm off for a point, a goal. I think Todd's colours are like me. I think they're probably like a nice pink would be so nice on it. Really, really pull out so many lovely parts of him. But, you know, he might be loving his extremely hardcore overhaul of Chelsea. But I think Tottenham fans enjoyed it more on this day. Uh, their team... Chose their moments early on without fear. Hoy Bear thrashed a deflected one off the post. Chelsea, really by that live wire cameo from Raheem Sterling. First Premier League start for him since January. It all felt all felt really a bit stale, strangely energyless, which is why, Davo, I think, and I can't wait to hear your take on this, Ziyech didn't get a red card for punching Real right in front of the referee. I think it was just that the referee upon reflection, did not believe it was possible for a Chelsea player to show fight and energy in this game, so just downgraded it to a yellow. I actually think <clears throat> you're fairly close in that assessment. Um, what else could it be? Tottenham, who are not a team you think of as being one of the hardest teams in football, out-muscled, out-fought, <laughs> and out-physicaled Chelsea from the very, very beginning. And they, they posed Stuart Atwell some questions, and Stuart Atwell said... No, that's not a card. I'm going to let it go. He let let quite a few things go, including, I should say, a very ill-advised, uh, you know, elbow to the neck area uh, by Thiago Silva um, uh, on, I think it was Romero in the area. So it's a, you know, he just let a lot go. And then... This was a lot, by the way. What did he yeah, let no, no, no. get away with? But by this point, Chelsea had been just mauled apart. They'd been, he was watching a team who were being almost defenestrated by Tottenham at this point. And in a moment of incredible frustration, I have no, I would have had no complaint had Ziyech been sent off for that. Absolutely no complaint whatsoever. In fact, I'm still in shock that he wasn't. Pretty clearly, this was a new use of VAR because VAR actually sent him off but the referee used that as a way to go and look at the monitor again and make his own decision on the field. This wasn't VAR that red card. This wasn't VAR that overturned the red card. This was the referee on the field who he went back to the screen. Went back to the screen and used that moment to go back to the screen. And his own initial view of it 
which was probably that, oh, these poor kids are player. being humiliated. Yeah. They're being humiliated by Tottenham. I can't possibly send them off for it's good. It's already not a fair fight, 11 versus 11. I can't make it 11 versus 10. It's a Chelsea player. It can't be. It has to be just negligible use of force. My God, I'll just say... It was very whack, and I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, Vars had a terrible month. Yet again, the optics, not good reputationally in this moment. And Spurs, no doubt, stewed in their locker room at halftime, or else the spectre of Antonio Conte ordering his assistants to apply the blow torches to Harry Wink's kneecaps again. Uh, whatever it was, Spurs open up the second half, roaring, essentially, uh, and for chess players, you'll all know fools make. That opening, they did a fool's mate opening straight from the off, 18 seconds in. Emerson Royal slapped a shot at Kepa. Enzo cleared only as far as Oliver Skip, who bodied his way to that ball right through João Felix, tossed aside like a Portuguese dish rag. And just, <laughs> I don't know, oh, what he did, he just lashed, he laced. I don't know, he was like, it was like, see, you don't even need to see Cocaine Bear, I don't believe, after watching Oliver Skip cut across that ball and just thunder it past a floundering Kepa. Yeah, floundering. I mean, a Kepa who jumped up in the air seemed to be right there where the ball was and then sort of collapsed under its force. I don't know. It was a very strange, for your opening goal, I think Oliver Skip has got to feel somewhat fortunate that that went in the back of the net. But anyway, oh. it was a goal and it was you know, a number of situations in which Chelsea players just were not tough enough in those situations and did not make the right decisions. And 1-0 uh, to Tottenham. Aesthetic delight, that goal, of entering the net via the underside of the bar. Yeah, Which I always that. think should, should be worth a goal and a half for style I points. I totally agree with you. So happy for Oliver Skip, though. Just his first ever goal in the league for Spurs. Lovely moment for a boy horse Spurs fan, uh, an academy graduate, a gent who looks week on week like he ever more belongs in the Premier League. Even though I have to be candid, few footballers look less like a footballer. That gent, Davo, he's got the face of, of a shattered, exhausted, overworked third-year medical student doing the rounds of the ER, that kind of <laughs> yellow exhaustion that fatigue admits. Pro pro I, I would say probably Oliver Skip, the Premier League footballer, I would most lightly let remove my appendix, Davo. I agree, does not have the look a little bit too clean cut, a little bit too uh, middle class looking, but a fantastic finish. And it came from his aggression in beating João Felix to that uh, Enzo clearance. And that's what Tottenham did, because I don't think Tottenham had a particularly good day. I don't think Tottenham were particularly good on this day, but Tottenham to. just out hustled Chelsea from the opening of this game. Didn't even have to won the ball like it was their dinner. They they they, they wanted it like it was elevens. <laughs> 11s. Yeah, pretty much. You know, Chelsea's response that it was so telling because there wasn't one. You know, yeah. So flat, so flaccid. Players seemed frustrated, edgy rather than determined, collectively driven. Um, the one change that we noticed tactically in the second half was Todd Burley took off his cashmere yeah. Chelsea hat. That was it. Spurs, to be clear, on this day stronger more willful, more coherent, still uh, had to kill off the game. Sonny to Dyer, flick on from a corner. Harry Kane stabbing home, 49th goal in London derbies. This stat, Harry Kane, one of only two players to score 20-plus goals in each of the last nine seasons, all comps, for clubs in Europe's big five leagues. The other, Robert Lewandowski. Again, we always say if he wasn't English, Harry Kane would be seen for what he truly is, which is the elite. Uh, of the elite, but it got so sad for you, Chelsea. You had to bring on Aubameyang 
Mudrick, late cameo, dudes looking more like the Ukrainian bastard offspring of Fernando Torres and Danny Drinkwater if they had a baby. Chelsea get battered everywhere they go, sang the delirious Spurs fans. That was a truth on the day. First win for Tottenham over Chelsea in the Premier League in four long years. Christian Stellini's winning run continues. Four wins now. Yep. Cue the Spurs chant. Christian Stellini, he eats risotto, he drinks espresso, he's won every game though. And Spurs now four points ahead of Newcastle. Yes, they played two games more. Cemented that top four place in perfect Conte fashion. Scored with two of their three shots on target, which will make him happiest of all. He loves stingy efficiency, that man. For Chelsea, three goals in the last 10 games, all comps. What has life come to, Davo, when you can't even beat Tottenham anymore? <laughs> I know Chelsea have just beaten um, for fun over the last several seasons. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is a Chelsea are so poor. Right now, you know, we always laugh about, um, you know, national teams, how they get assembled and you can only pick the players you've got. So very often national teams have a real weakness. They're missing a striker or they miss like a very strong central defence. They always have a weakness. But usually when you have money to spend and especially when you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to spend, you assemble a team that have all the pieces to go and do it. This Chelsea team are so disjointed. They are so unbalanced, even with this bloated, bloated, bloated squad. And yes, you talk about the 31 players. They've got another 50 out on loan. They have everyone they need to go and compete. Apart from a striker. But, a, but <laughs> apart from a striker. and Christian yeah. Cuckoo not count. I know, well, he's not coming until the summer. You know, Tammy Abraham can come back in the summer if they spend a whopping, I don't know, 70, 80 million for him to get him back. It's a, there's, it's just, it's just really outrageous, outrageously bad management. And by management, I mean ownership. Yeah, poor Todd Burley at the end, bereft alone in that box with a, I think I've made a huge mistake face on him. His mercenaries hired from the Wagner group, some of them, I think. It's not quite working. A couple of you wrote in that uh, Burley <laughs> is going to probably sack Potter and hire Stellini. Oh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that'd be hilarious. Seven defeats in the last 13 Premier League games. I think four goals scored in the last 11 league games. Um, is it one in the last six? No real idea of football beyond sterile possession. Rog... This is so much worse than the form that has got almost every Chelsea manager who's been fired previously by Abramovich and by him. This is worse than everything. So Todd Burley knows I need a different strategy because the current one I've got, which is taking lots of money, putting it in a garbage can and setting it on fire is not working. Graham Potter said post-game, the players gave everything. The goals made it difficult mm. for us. The goals made I love that line. The yeah. goals, goals made do. it difficult goals for us. Tend to, goals tend to make it difficult. When Southampton lost 9-0, they should have said that. The goals did make it difficult. Yeah, that's football, Graham. Um, and, and, and Graham Potter talked about how Mikel Arteta on All or Nothing, you know, he, everybody wanted him out at the beginning. He said Jurgen Klopp, people wanted want him out now. Um, but does it, where are we, David? A, should he stay on? And B, the problems um, you're kind of hinting are bigger um, than Graham Potter anyway. He's, he's, he's not great, but he's a scapegoat. The worst of all Chelsea starting to message the media on XG and and what the XG in this run of games would have been <laughs> and like all that. It's just the worst. Here's the reality, Rog, and we know men like Todd Burley very well. The only win for Todd Burley is for his decision to have been correct. 
by firing Graham Potter, he has to admit that he made a big, fat, dumb mistake. The only way that he made the correct decision is if Graham Potter turns it around and it turns out, oh, after I showed you all, it was just the Mikel Arteta. It was the right decision because he communicates well with us and he's the right manager for the job and we made the right decision. What Burley has to admit by, by firing Graham Potter is that he made a big, fat, dumb mistake. <laughs> and the last thing that men like Todd Burley want to do... I live with this, Rog. The last thing they want to do is admit fault, especially when their names are being thrown out in the media and on podcasts like this. They just don't want to do it. You know, I did say on Friday's podcast, I've got a new theory about what Todd Burley's trying to do with your club. I, I believe, and I think this is probably the most rational scenario of all, I believe he's actually living out some kind of Brewster's Millions remake on your club where he has to blow through millions of dollars so that he can somehow access billions. I think, I believe, and listeners, tell me if you think this is actually making sense to you. I believe Todd Burley's in the Richard Pryor role right now. We're in the business <laughs> of being in business and we're doing business. I think it's just not that interesting. I think he's just got in way out of his depth. He has more money than sense. He believed his own hype. He made a horrible decision and he just won't back down from it. Cue, I am travelling to uh, Chelsea this week and taking my son George to his first ever Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge for the visit of Leeds, our, you know, once great rivals. I'm sure that rivalry is going to be uh, is going to be hitting again, especially from the Leeds away section. You're just soft southern bastards. And, um, you know, uh, you know, my son texted me and said, well, we may have a new manager by next week. I go, no, nope. <laughs> unlikely. He'll just hold it. He's just going to hang in there. He's going to hang in there until his decision looks better. It's his first game, isn't it? First at Chelsea. He's been to oh, Palace. He's been to Fulham. So lovely. Never been so to Chelsea. Lovely. Son, it's a wonderful moment as a father when you can say to your own son, son, let's put our hand in the buzzsaw of football <laughs> together. <laughs> oh, and for love of God, Todd Burley, start wearing pink, mate. Come on. Leicester, nil. Arsenal won. The manager with the Premier League's strongest hairline takes on Mikel Arteta and is served up yet another <laughs> gritty Arsenal performance. After having a first-half goal varred off, Leandro Trossard hit a little Belgian five-hole assist through the legs of Leicester's Harry Soutaf to a streaking Gabriel Martinelli who rolled home the game's lone goal right when so many were prepared for this Arsenal team to wilt. They only go and deliver back-to-back -back away wins to stay two points clear of City with a game in hand. Back-to-back -back away wins in the Midlands. Incredible yeah. game that Mid could have been a banana skin turned into an uneventful, tough-it-out victory. Hard fought, but truly forgettable in the scheme of the campaign. Growing down football, which made it all the more glorious. And the game began with a lovely jester, by Arsenal, Zinchenko, that child of Zitimir Oblast in northern Ukraine, was made captain for the day, a year and a day since the barbarous invasion of his home nation. And I did wonder what emotions he must have experienced marching out proudly with his league-leading team wearing the colours of Ukraine, that captain's armband on his forearm. Partey back, but only fit enough for the bench agent, Jorginho, 
continuing midfield. Trossard starting to give Enketia a much-needed break, and he floated out dangerously, a dangerous drifter on the left, which felt like it paid dividends in the first half, a magically taking goal. Uh, goal so great, I do Morning Joe on Mondays, and they actually played that one as the winning goal. And I had to, I was watching, I had to commentate over it on Morning Joe, and I was like, do I say that it was actually far off and have to explain to America that I was, I just went with it. I was like, great, and this was the winner. I won. They were in the studio. They were just like, wow, that's a great goal. I was like, cool, cool. It was a great goal. And he thrashed the ball home like an arrow, but for a judge, Ben White had held goalkeeper Danny Ward in the build-up. A little harsh, Davo, but mm. fair, would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, okay. look. In the spirit of, of the law, but not in the spirit of equity. With all of these decisions, you now have to say you've seen him given, and you've seen him given. You've seen him not given, you've seen him given. You pose some kind of a risk when you do that. Right after halftime, the goal that Morning Joe didn't see, made by Trossard, <laughs> nutmeg pass, which is stunning in its own way. Martinelli galloped on, scored his second in two games, curving in, slapping it into mm. the corner. Thierry Henry-esque, said many Arsenal fans in my text, took a whack from Ndidi in the process. I'd give my life Arsenal Football yeah. Club. But to me, the most remarkable aspect of a beautiful goal was that Bukayo Saka had the willpower to prevent him from diving in on the line to stab that ball home. It was already going in, but he could have claimed the goal, David. Clearly, doesn't own himself in fantasy. Team player. Yeah, lesser humans definitely would have poked that home and taken all the credit. <sighs> Leicester, sure of their creative heartbeat. James Madison out with an illness. We're innocuous. They've just three points from seven games without their tattoo genius this season. His absence, really a guaranteed L. And Brodge threw on professional Arsenal taunter, Jamie Vardy, um, who kind of provoked a late flurry but honestly they never really troubled Arsenal truth be told one shot from Leicester all game none on target the Twitter handle XG philosophy tweeted Leicester created 0.01 XG against Arsenal the lowest XG in a Premier League match since we began this account they don't look like Leicester on the field don't sound like Leicester off it it was so quiet in the King Power this season but Arsenal won't care back to back Tough away wins, tough places. These are not the most emphatic wins, the most creative, the most dominant wins, but that they don't need to be, but keep on winning. That was a peculiar delight for this one. I got a text from my Arsenal supporting mate, Michael Cohen, at full time. He said, proper grind out win. Can't wait to smash your Everton boys into the championship on Wednesday. Thanks, oh. Michael Cohen. Nice. Oh, Big of you. Okay. Another great team, Bournemouth. Well, not them. One, Manchester City, them four. Pep's big box store heads to the south coast and takes no mercy on one of the Premier League's mom-and-pop shops. City lashed four <laughs> past the hapless cherries thanks to Julian Alvarez, Erling Haaland, Phil Foden. Also a Chris Mepamone goal. Jefferson Lerma pulled one back for the cherries in the 83rd minute, which would have frustrated Pep. But in many ways, it was a perfect day for him because the Bournemouth goal will give him something to be irate about. City, though, <laughs> just at their scary best here. Yeah, after dropping points against plucky Nottingham Forest last weekend then frittering away a Champions League opening leg in Leipzig that left 1-1 without a frenzied pep so much as bringing on a single substitute. The narrative going into this one was where had Manchester City's cutting edge gone? Cue the Cherries, whom Pep had beaten 11 straight times, Whoa. which is 
the more you think about it, the more remarkable that is. You know, we're always like, if they played each other 10 times, it could be, yeah, sure. But no, Bournemouth can't even do that. Always a perfect remedy for a fraught city who had honestly looked and sounded miserable going into this one, despite beating Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. They had big picture drop points in five of their last 11. They're battling Premier League charges. And I said on Friday's pod, Davo, City are turning into a reminder that despite all the winning, despite all the trophies, despite all the money, you can be very, very rich and very, very miserable. But also still very, very good at football, which is, as a Chelsea fan, I'd forgotten that you can be rich and be good at football. It's been, it's <laughs> remarkable to see a team who, who just have, have all diagrams. these spoils. I just didn't realise this. Um so, yeah, I mean, you, you sort of sometimes wonder why City makes such a fuss out of playing football when they're this good on this day, this don- dominant. I mean, at certain points, it was like they were just kicking the ball. It was like a game of dodgeball where they were just like yeah. kicking the ball against Bournemouth players in order for it to rebound to them so that they would back up and then have to kick it at them even harder so they'd back up even further until eventually just the force of of uh, of yardage would just take them into the goal. It was like something very, very odd to watch. That's what this game was. It was like the volleyball scene in the in the Fablemans. Um, I mean, my God, it took City. I mean, City, who were already five points behind. Again, Arsenal had played first this weekend. Again, they'd held serve. And a dominant City, 15 minutes in, Foden burst into the box, was blocked off. Haaland then swooped on the ball, thrashed it off the crossbar, dropped to Alvarez, prodded it into the empty net. Really, the perfect City goal, just bulldozing relentlessly. A relentless cyborg attack almost. Or cyborgs probably look at it and be like, oh my God, we wish we could attack like that. Um, Just poor cherries. They had Marcus Tavernier missing. I think they've taken (laughs) one point for the seven games without him. I think the cyborgs are asking, how does Haaland hit so many crossbars? It just seems... I've never seen a player hit as many crossbars as Erling Haaland. Yeah, that's Cyborg uh, dance. That's hit the crossbar. That's Cyborg's hard. Ha, ha. Um, by the way, listeners, if you've met Cyborg, can Cyborg's laugh? Am I, just, I know our eagle uh, cry on the pod. Ornithologists tell us that we it's not actually an eagle's cry. I want to be clear. If we are misrepresenting Cyborg traits, then please, please tell us. Can they even laugh? We have no idea. Do they even have senses of humour? Uh, this is all the stuff going on. Does 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 uh, AI, can chat GPT have emotions, Rog? This is very much in the news at the moment. Yeah, back to, I mean, Erling Haaland, who I've said is like chat GBT, um, as a footballer, then scored his 27th on the year in just 24 Premier League games. I think 33 in 33 games all comps, eclipsing Kun Aguero as City's best return in the season. And there's still 14 more games to play. Lord Panic could never, is all I'd say. Davo, the best strikers in the world make it look like they've got the power to make the ball seem as if it comes to them in the box. And my Lord, Holland's positional sense, the runs he makes, they're incredible. It's as if he and the ball almost on the same telepathic wavelength. The Foden droid scored two. The excellent Alvarez forced an own goal. Rico Lewis excelled in this one. City fans killed off the game by singing, Erlin Haaland, he scored more than you. At the Bournemouth players, which is truth, but Bantz, Bournemouth limped off. And uh, now, knowing they've got to play Arsenal and Liverpool, 
City playing Newcastle next weekend. Pep declared, the mood is exceptional. The guys are doing everything and that is enough for me. I have the feeling many things, many, many things are going to happen. Many things, Dave. Is he referring to league titles? Is he referring Mm -hmm. to court cases? Or the cargo pants with the pockets Mm -hmm. weirdly placed under his testicles that he's about to unleash on the world? Whichever it is. Daddy wants international affairs, Chinese spy balloons, you know, all sorts of things. It could be he could be really referring to anything. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke cold brew coffee always bold always smooth yes that is the very same stoke as in the mighty wrexham fortress known as the stoke kairas or the stoke Racecourse, wrexham afc's home they support it they support football which is just one great reason to love this coffee it is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta Sky Miles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Okay, Leeds United 1, Southampton nil. The two teams at the bottom of the league square off in the time on a tradition of a relegation breakdance battle. And it was the home side who dictated the frenetic pace of this one, helped in part by the reintroduction of the fantastic Brendan Aronson to the starting lineup. But the breakthrough wouldn't come until the 77th minute when a smooth backflick from Berkshire Day School's Jack Harrison allowed Junior Furpo to slide home the winner and send the Elland Road faithful into hysterics. Eric's Leeds first win in nearly four months lifts them out of the relegation zone. Seismic clash between the two teams nailed to the bottom of the Premier League table. Southampton now led permanently by Ruben Sellers. Friday confirmed by the club who will manage the team until the end of the season. Please, captain, take control of this ship as it steams inexorably towards that giant iceberg. Oh, the Saints are terrible, bottom of the table, but with a faintly audible pulse after that 1-0 victory over Chelsea, <laughs> they squared up to Leeds United. Brand new manager, Javi Gracia, who's one of his great traits is to confuse English speakers of the placement in the R of his mm, last name. Yeah, First game in charge since taking over from office temp, Michael Scubala told the media he'd only been sleeping two or three hours since taking the job, working like a Twitter employee, sleeping in the office. And what does Gracia do in his first match in charge? Well, he goes and unleashes a veritable continental congress worth of Americans. David Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson in the lineup together, starting for the first time since Weston arrived. Ball call to go 27.27.27.27% 
American in key relegation matches. But Brendan Aronson, David from Philly Union, Tyler Adams, New Red Bulls, Weston McKinney, FC Dallas Academy. You throw in Jack Harrison, NYCFC. David, was this basically the first MLS game of opening day? Yeah, should have been on Apple, Rog. Um, it was. I uh, think you're right. It was fantastic to see uh, so much. Um, American interest, so many American players and American-raised players playing in the outfield in this one. And the reintroduction, especially, of Brendan Aronson, who had been really reduced to a bench role uh, under Jesse Marsh. You know, for me, I said before the World Cup, he is the American player I'm most scared of. He just seems to be next level in terms of his speed, his ability to press, his ability to harry, and just his fighting mentality. I love For a team who are in danger of going down, he is exactly what you want on the field. I love uh, Brendan. He's had a bout of appendicitis. I think a stretch of games where he looked utterly shattered. Either side of the World Cup, I think it's totally done him in. He's so young. That, that, that just energy-sapping, relentless battering that the Premier League gives you he needs that guy needs an off-season to restore his uh, permanent mode to full of piss and vinegar like the Ellen Road crowd which was so raucous on this day just a snarling bear pit of dreams and opposing players nightmares Southampton's whole game plan seemed to be draw a free kick from JWP range and it didn't Mm. happen on this day they offered little only girl came down the leads left Jack Harrison um, channeling his fellow demon deacon Chris Paul with a slit little no-look back heel to the pride of Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Junior Furpo, who rolled, let's be honest, a tepid shot right through Irish goalkeeper Gavin Bazunu that saw Ellen Road explode. And that was it, David. One game, one win for Javi Gracia. Leeds first in 11 league games. I think the first, as you said, since November the 5th. What the commentator called the biggest game of the season. They got a bloody win. Um, what did Gracia change? They looked like they had whips. Um, they looked, and I've not seen this since before Bielsa. They, they were able, willing to slow the game down, to control yeah. it, to kill it off. Um, massive win for Leeds. Massive win for fans of these American players, unless you also support Everton. Javi Gracia said, this much progress in a week. Imagine what we can do with more time. It's clearly, Davo, not heard of the science of the new manager bounce, has he, Davo? Full of midweek in FA Cup action. And then Pulisic's Chelsea up next. Oh, don't give Todd Burley the idea. He'll have a new manager every week. Um, uh, West Ham 4, Nottingham Forest nil. David Moyes doing his best impression of the James Franco on a hanging block. First time, meme, as his squad replies to reports that he would be fired without a win, only by going and dumping four past the tricky trees in the final 20 minutes. A brace for Sir Danny of Ings, a Declan Rice worldie, no one was more surprised at that than Declan Rice, and a piece of CONCACAF insurance from Mikel Antonio. Do the business. The Irons move out of the relegation zone and into 16th place, too clear of the drop. Needs must win for Moyes. Ings first start in search of three points. And West Ham played as if for the first time in a while, they knew the game was actually played in in in, in two halves. Theirs as well as the opponents. They barely left their own third in an insipid loss to Spurs. This was a world away from a performance. Forrest, albeit have struggled all season on the road. Ings did things improvising 70th minute as he fell one way, propelled the ball the other. 
Second within two minutes. Again, classic Kings improv, getting the job done. Declan Rice, a thunderous third. And you saw West Ham. So much attacking talent. Paqueta, Bowen, Declan Rice like a buzzsaw. David Moyes, he even, David, in certain lights, you could see him on the sideline down the stretch grimacing in a way that almost looked like a smile. 13 oh. losses on the season, but an enormous three points when they needed it. Just, I realized if West Ham briefed the press that they were going to fire Moyes if they didn't win every single week, they'd be in the top four. <laughs> it's possible. It is possible. Fulham won, Wolves won, Friday night lights on the banks of the River Thames. And with Fulham ensconcing a scrap for European football, it was the turquoise-clad visitors who shot out in front via a 23rd-minute bouncing strike from Pablo Sarabia. Old Pab Sarab's first goal for the club since joining in January, <laughs> but a second-half goal from substitute and Israeli international Manor Solomon drew the Cottagers' level, and that's how it ended. Fulham a sixth, six points off the top four. Feisty game, a lot of beefing from both benches. Fulham worked hard to come back from a goal down. Lopetegui will rue the way a side seeded that lead. Mitrovic struggling, hamstring problems, seven games now without a goal for that giant wardrobe. Fulham had to rely on a new hero, a rise, Manor Solomon, third game on the trot. First Israeli to do that, three consecutive Premier League games with a goal since the iconic Ronnie Rosenthal wow. in 1992. Google him, you won't be sorry. Oh, but Manor Solomon, the Negev dagger, who has had to battle back from injury over the last four months, super subbed. Um, cutting from the left, one of those goals where you always see the goal before the player even pulls his, his foot back to shoot the ball and watching it unfold almost seems like you're doubling the thrill. God bless Anthony Robinson, should be noted, should get an assist for winning that ball back. Scouts American ferocity bodied Traore despite giving up £100 and a bottle of baby oil on the man. Dave, we had a letter from a Fulham GFOP that sums up the mood around Craven Cottage in this incredible season. Can you do the honours? Yes, long-time friend of the pod. First time with a question, he writes, I'm truly stumped. I've been a supporter of Fulham for the last 20 years, so I know one truth. We will be relegated at the end of the season. But as we continue to pick up points, I am stumped as to how it will actually happen. Break in the time-space continuum, sinkhole under Craven Cottage. Please help me with my question. How will Fulham end up being relegated in May this time? Thanks and courage, Adam in Portland, Maine. God bless you, Adam in Portland, Maine. I'll say so many haters would have doubted this Fulham would get 39 points by the end of the season. They've done it now within 25 games. Huge tribute to Marco Silva and the immense job he's done. Just savour every second, Adam, in Portland, Maine, that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city. Go and get a bagel at Rose's Bagels. Oh, I just know I wish I was in your town. But Fulham fans, my Lord, I've got to say, after all the suffering of the last two relegations, you deserve every single moment. From West London to south of the river for Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. The Reds lick their wounds after the 5-2 Champions League humbling at the hands of Real Madrid and come in for a game that was essentially a 90-minute crossbar challenge. Diego Jota, Mo Salah and Jean-Philippe Mateta all rattled the frame, but to no avail, Liverpool's momentum for a top-four place stalls as they fall nine points behind Spurs. Yeah, Liverpool listing in, desperate to keep the fantasy, the potence, the slender hope of a top four push after that 5-2 obliteration. 
humiliation, just devastation in front of their own fans. Silent Anfield at the end of that Real Madrid masterclass. And we all tuned in for this one, almost like psychology students about to do a controlled test akin to like the Stanford Prison Experiment 1971. How exactly does a proud team follow up their worst home European defeat in club history when your much ballyhooed revival leads only to humiliating devastation when that transfer window in the summer feels as far away as the finish line to a long-distance swimmer who's exhausted. Will Jude Bellingham answer the bat signal being omitted in panic for more points around Anfield? And honestly, Davo, we didn't learn a lot in this one. It was good to see Diogo Jota return um, to make his first start since October. But this was against Palace. No wins in 2023. And Liverpool still seemed meek and fearful. Palace honestly had the, the biggest chances. Both fell to Mateta, who was gifted a sloppy back pass by a truly floundering Trent. A bewildered Allison came out big to smother. Trent then left it on the plate for another Mateta miss. Liverpool didn't... I mean, they look like they're still rocked by Tuesday, David. Just sodden, traumatised, mistake-ridden football. Yeah. I mean, a hard place to play at Crystal Palace, at Selhurst Park, um, you know, towards the end of winter when you're struggling for a little bit of form. Palace always make it hard on you. And Liverpool... You know, I think ultimately they will look back at this and think this was not a bad result after their humiliation midweek that was humbling <sighs> for the club um, and, uh, you know, difficult for the manager to even process uh, what has gone up there. Yeah, there was an incredible moment in the game which really summed up Liverpool's season to a T. Free kick, dangerous spot, edge of the Palace area. Mo Salah backhilled it to set up Trent to slash the ball straight past the wall. It was flying into the goal, but who blocked it? Certain Liverpool goal. Hendo, he kind of jumped up. It wasn't clear if he was jumping up to get to the ball, if he was falling out of a building and it was just an accident. Haters would say Hendo's finished, but it just seemed like fog of war, just an allegory for Liverpool's season. Liverpool looked ordinary. Palace looked hungrier, faster, more athletic. Liverpool just looked ordinary, mortal. Scene fillers who can't quite understand how it's come to this. Final whistle, almost a relief that it didn't bring loss with it. This was a massive point for Palace. Fairly useless one for Liverpool in terms of their needs. Um, we are, in the last four or five years, said Big Verge, we are spoiled, winning all the trophies that are available. This is true. So he said to have this bumpy season is a shock for everyone. We need each other. That's what it's all about. Everyone was there when we won. Everyone needs to be there now. Mm, wise words. Okay, here we go. Everton nil, Aston Villa two, coming off last week's win over Leeds that had you and Martin Scorsese flying high. Your mob, oh, they came back to earth with a thud, a 61st minute Ollie Watkins penalty and an Emmy Buendia 81st minute pile driver. Because of all the results we've already covered, your mob are back in the relegation zone and we are sure in many ways you've never been happier. I'm not going to lie, Dave. I knew we were doomed. Expectations so low. Somehow, I mean, we needed a wonder goal, a miracle from Seamus Coleman just to see off a terrible lead the week before. That was my mood. And Villa are a bogey team for Everton. And I know every team, by virtue of being a football team, are a bogey team for Everton. But Villa have never beaten a team more than they've beaten 
the Blues. They've also, I think, won four of their previous five against Everton, one during that mix. But Sean Dyche, you know, God, my children are so optimistic. He was like, three wins on the run at home under Sean Dyche, Dad. I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, Villa had lost three on the trot. Last scene with Emi Martinez uh, being introduced to the gods of karma, heading that ball into his own net against Arsenal. But Everton, with Mopé up top, man, we are so blunt. I just want them, I want the whole game, I was like, just give it to Seamus, wherever he was on the field. Let him bend it in for some weird bloody angle. And I do, I know I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go on. But I spent a huge amount of my weekend watching Dwight McNeil being fed the ball, finding ever more creative ways to to just fall over or be dispossessed. And I, I talked last week about just how much I hate watching that man wear the shirt, the team I love. But when the commentator early in the second half mentioned just how prominent Dwight McNeil had been in Everton's game plan, my youngest son, Ozzy, screamed at the television. And I'm going to paraphrase what he actually said. But he screamed. He said, yeah, prominently crap. And I've really been prouder of my son than in that moment. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's fair to say you're not a big Dwight McNeil fan. However, it was almost defensive blunders that caused uh that changed yeah. this game yeah rog yeah and blunders was. being so perhaps better said is like unable to defend against players running at them with the ball yeah buendia came on in the 61st minute and by the way as soon as he came on i knew we were we were totally doomed and within seconds he fed mcginn brought down by gay that man gay is a frenzy but that tackle as you're hinting was brain dead um, Ollie Watkins finished superbly fifth game on the run with a goal for that gentleman. Um, and when opponents score against Everton, it largely means game over. Mopé, 17 games without a goal. We are just so immensely constipated. Humanly, I don't think anyone has ever been this constipated. Honestly, starting to wonder, seriously, whether I will ever see the team I love score a Premier League goal again in my lifetime. Buendia has played Everton three times, scored against us three times. And at the death, he cut apart a whole back line, slapped home. And Dave, the pain was reinforced only because it was so predictable. Those of you who listened to Friday's podcast, WGFOP Weekend Preview, will have heard me say the following. I just fear Ollie Watkins and Buendia and think they're going to do us. Dave, oh God, listen to that again. I've just been sick a little bit in my mouth. Rod Stradamus. Second game on the run, second massive loss that I've said exactly what the score would be, exactly who would score. It's like watching Everton. It's like watching a movie that I've watched a thousand times, 10,000 times. Everybody has one as a kid. Mine's Trading Places. What's yours, David, where you've seen the movie so many times that you just, it's like you just know it? Probably Elf. Elf, That's probably it. the movie yeah. I've watched more in my life than any other because I've watched it with all my kids. They love it too. Watching Everton for me is like watching Elf for you. You just, oh, oh God, oh, okay, we'll do it. It's kind of, oh, okay, I know exactly buddy, what's going to happen. Um, having, um, having done this podcast with you for more than a dozen years, it does occur to me, though, that you have forecasted and foreshadowed doom in every fixture that Everton have played over all those years. And certainly this season, I've not heard anything other than doom being your prediction before every single game. Are you game. telling, me, you're telling makes... me I'm a broken clock? Are you telling me I'm a broken clock? No, very well, more broken than anything because 
it actually makes the 21 points that Everton have gained this season from 24 games sort of a miracle. Something Bite that should put you... Well, you have 21 points. That would be... <laughs> that's my point, is it should put Can you I in get a good 21 mood. More? Can well, I get 21 more? Well, sir? maybe if you play 24 more games, which oh, unfortunately problem. can't happen in a single season when you've already played 24. We've always joked, though, that I have like been cursed with the same kind of superpower of being able to see the future that Cassandra had in, in Greek mythology. And I, as I often remind listeners, Cassandra ultimately was a curse because she saw her own murder and mm. was powerless to do anything to stop it. That's what it feels like. You know, She was cursed because she'd been, uh, she'd promised to make love to Apollo and then revoke that. David, did I sometime, when I, have I ever promised to make love to Apollo in your presence? I'm no, to I don't out, know. What I, I don't done? know why, why not. What, what, would well, they, why would have you they? not done that? You promised they? to make love to many other people. By the way, Apollo, if you're listening and you'll give me 21 more <laughs> on your points. Pod, on your yeah. pod radio. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening. <laughs> Apollo, to save Everton, I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just yeah. saying. But, but the, the, it, it is incredible um, what a difference a week makes. A week ago, Leeds were flailing. Seven days ago, West Ham were on the brink. Now they both won and we are stale and alone, and puny, and cold, and shamed, and lying naked on the floor. First home defeat for Sean Dyche with the league's lowest goal scorers. Just 17 goals. Apollo, get on it. Make no mistake. Everton in deep, deep trouble. David, the lowest goal scorers in the league have been relegated the past five seasons. That is it. To quote Olivia Wilde, quoting Mary Oliver, like Michael Scott, quoting Wayne Gretzky, are you breathing just a little bit? And calling it a life, that's kind of where I am as we roll on to Forest. Todd Burley, going to hear this pod because I know he listens. He's going to call Olympiakos and try and sign a poll <laughs> <laughs> Where are you on Sean Dyche right now? Oh, I love that ginger bastard. He's our only hope. I'm still smelting the statue. Still smelting him and Apollo. Yeah. God, wouldn't that be incredible? That'd be a movie. Watching... Watching Sean Dyche and Apollo making sweet love. God, I'd rather watch that than watch Everton <laughs> play another nine minutes of football this weekend. Okay, before we go, a quick reminder about everything we've got happening at Men in Blazers this week. Your pod special with Peter Drury drops tomorrow right here on this very pod feed. I can't wait to listen to that. And Wednesday, you're going to do it live after Arsenal versus Everton for what we're sure will be the podcast equivalent to the Calm app. Can we get a twist to bring yeah. us home, Rogelio? I've just realised I'm going to be in Atlanta for that Do It Live. I'm going to have to take my travel kit, but I want to raise <laughs> the shot of Jägermeister. Oh, that bolt of fuel emotion in a shot glass. Got to need this to news. David, I don't know if you've heard, Jürgen Klinsmann has been appointed as the new coach of South Korea. Wow. A return to management for the former US manager after three long years out of the game. Last job, that short-lived 10-week spell at Hertha Berlin. Don't look at it if you support South Korea, South Korean fans. Um, it's going to be amazing to have him back on the touchline at the World Cup in 2026, which will be held in the United States. And I've got a feeling FIFA's hot balls will make sure he's drawn in the US men's national team's group. Oh, um, Here's where I don't understand. It's a long journey from Los Angeles to commute uh, solely by helicopter to Seoul. So he's going to have to get himself one of those. I was looking at long range helicopters for uh -huh. him. Jürgen, I know you're listening. The Lockheed AH56A Cheyenne has apparently can hover over like uh, 1,500 miles. Do it, do it. Korean listeners. 
brace yourself. <laughs> the 100 miles isn't going to be enough, Rog. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, unless you isn't hop, you just you hop from one little outpost of rocks to another all the way. Isn't it the effort that counts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Jürgen, also, I'll revise that. If you are listening, don't take my advice literally, because I'd feel terribly guilty if anything happened. I would. But Korean listeners, brace yourself for Hong Min Son to be sensationally axed on the eve of the World Cup, mm. while Jürgen Sun sends out mocking tweets, ha-ha, um, all the while Jürgen finds a strain of German-Koreans who will both bolster and unsettle mm. the entire squad as he shouts, good hang we! <laughs> with a very excited and slightly eerie tone from the sideline. It's going to be magnificent. Courage, or as they say in Korea, Yonggi! Uh, good Yongi, good. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, on Facebook with the Men in Blazers, on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Men in Blazers. We're on YouTube where you can see a video version of our podcast, including this one, which we will release in full. That is right from the opening to the close. Check it out on our YouTube right now. Also, our TikTok. And be sure to head to at Men in Blazers to see uh, our content there. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. Warping! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Dave. Love you, Rogelio. Good hang we! <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow six trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.